Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the review of Game Week 7 of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for listening. During a weekend where we finally saw Manchester City lose in the Premier League to now second place Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal and Liverpool all picked up three points. Yet, many of us will point out the flaws in their games while we analyze them. Whereas Manchester United, on the back of arguably their best performance of the season, dropped points against Stoke. As Sir Alex used to say, football, bloody hell. In order to discuss all of the games from this weekend, I am joined by the wonderful duo of Morgan Green and Kristen Hennage. Welcome, gentlemen. We're going to start part one with a question this time. It comes from Carlos Zaldivar, and it's my favorite question we got this week. The question, gentlemen, is if you, if the three of us became managers of our respective clubs, what would we do during our first week? And then what would it be like at the end, uh, at the end of the season as well? So let's start with you, Morgan. What would you do in your first week as manager of Chelsea? And then oh what would you do in your first season? See, I feel kind of... Um... I don't know, ashamed. I mean, I have so much privilege as the manager of Chelsea. <laughs> uh, my first week, I would probably get the boys back into shape, you know, do a uh, training regimen. Oh and then I'd probably end up taking Eden Hazard out for a couple of hamburgers. I hear he likes those mm. just to keep him happy because you want him happy and creative. <laughs> Um, I'd probably start working on a device to fire Bronislav Ivanovic into the sun at this point. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the first season, we would no doubt be champions by at least 15 points. Mm, real, uh, the good news is you're always realistic, Morgan. That's what we love about you. What about you, Chris? Newcastle United, what would you do your first week and your first season? Besides drink heavily. Right. Nailed it. Absolutely. First first week, just drink um, morning, <laughs> noon, and night. Um, the first season as well. First, first season. I mean, yeah, no one. If it, if it goes the way that most uh, Newcastle-related dreams of mine do, it'll probably involve heavy drinking. Um, in terms of actual management, I would see. We're we're not. This sounds bizarre, but we're actually not doing anything wrong at the minute. There's nothing catastrophic where I'm like, this needs to change. Everything is going fairly well, so I don't think I would change anything. I think I would leave it exactly as it is. Do you so think you would, you would get Newcastle promoted? I like to think I would get them promoted. Um, I think the the decisions are all relatively easy hmm. at this precise moment because of how good the squad is and where its strengths lie. Hmm. Um, 
I would probably try and bring an American over at some point. Um, see if we couldn't loan Jordan Morris for two months, just, you know, marketing and stuff. That would be fun. Um, other than that, I, d- I don't know. Yeah, it, it sounds very bizarre to say because usually I've got a, a real rap sheet of stuff that I want to change about my football club. But at this precise moment, I, I am genuinely happy with the direction that it is heading in for the first time. I got to say, the first thing, if I was Newcastle United, I would go on a fact rant just to replace Benitez because you can't have you can't be replacing Benitez and not do a fact rant and talk about how the championship uh, referees are all against Newcastle United. What would I do as Manchester United manager? First week, I would just go around meeting everybody and just be starstruck. Meet Sir Alex, meet Sir Bobby, uh, meet the class of 92, take lots of pictures, and then I'd get down to work, uh, sign Christian Pulisic from Dortmund for probably about 300 million pounds is probably what we'll have to pay for him at this point, uh, and then get us relegated because that's what would yes, happen if I was manager. sounds absolutely right. Oh, Manchester United. <laughs> Uh, speaking of relegation battles, let's talk about Tottenham and Manchester City. That is the worst transition and has nothing to do with reality, but I just wanted to throw it in there. Tottenham beat Man City 2-0. Chris, last week we talked about, you and I talked struggled to find flaws in the Manchester City system, and here we are. Pochettino found a few of them. Um, the big one that I noticed, at least, uh, was... was what they did in midfield. Uh, there were runs from deep and there was a lot of strength in midfield. Wanyama was putting a lot of pressure as well as throwing in tackles. He got the yellow card. It was actually the performance I expected Pogba and Fellaini to have against Manchester City. But we, fought, we saw Tottenham deliver that, that strength in midfield and those runs from deep that, that uh, the likes of Fernando had trouble keeping up with. It was the pressure. It was yeah. consistently the pressure that told. I mean, you look at Ericsson, for example, he had 16 ball recoveries. That's your attacking midfielder mm-hmm. performing on a defensive end. That's In that sense, it was such a holistic performance from Tottenham because they were efficient and so much more in, in, in the sense of we talk about why you press high and, and it's with the intention of starting an attack quickly while your opponent is disorientated. I don't think it was as simple as they pressed them high. I think what they did was they managed to act aggressively, but also with composure. It, it very rarely, for me, bled over into recklessness or anything like that. And I think when you can perform in that way, then you have a fantastic chance of unsettling City. Because too often with the, the speed of the way that the ball moves and the teams under, under Guardiola play... It can be very easy, I think, to lunge in to make silly tackles, to collect those silly yellow cards that lead into reds and ultimately give City the advantage. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that with Tottenham. I saw a very polished performance. And granted, Pochettino's had significantly longer with this team than Guardiola has had with his. Right. And I think we have to, to cut him some degree of slack with that. I would also add to that that I think this performance cements that Tottenham are title challengers at this point. They're, they're a team that could legitimately do better than last year, which when we look at how much of, of last season looked like this weird sort of blip on the, the radar and, and the kind of the numbers and everything like that with Leicester winning it, that's a huge compliment. Absolutely. It, it was really un- until that Tottenham-Leicester game, which was maybe four or five games uh, from the end of the season, that, that Tottenham were the only real challengers for Leicester. Um, and uh, even though Arsenal finished above them, as, as Karthik points out, it was Tottenham that challenged uh, really only challenged Leicester for the title. So um, 
I agree with a lot what you said, and especially the bit about Guardiola uh, having less time and uh, Pochettino having more time. And I, I think Guardiola, who was incredibly complimentary towards uh, Tottenham and to Pochettino in, in his pre- post-match press conference, pointed out as much. Um, Morgan, we'll, we'll get to Tottenham a little bit more here in a second, but switching to Manchester City, Kevin De Bruyne has been a huge miss. Uh, we we saw what a terrific start he had uh, to the to the season. He really links up that midfield and that forward line for, from the defense. He was involved in all the, in the build up for all their goals. How much are they missing him right now? They're missing him a lot. Um, it's it's not shocking that the team's most creative player not being there is having a huge impact on them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, and that's really, to me, at least he seems like that one outlet for Claudio Bravo when they do go back to the goalkeeper and they send it to him and allow him to spread the ball out. He's that one kind of safety blanket that he knows if he can get it to De Bruyne, De Bruyne could do a turn, do a quick pass and he can get out of it. He seems to have the skill to do that without having that outlet there because and again we've seen that when they've done their breaks you know they he it gets to De Bruyne he starts the triangle and then everybody goes and it's fun to watch and it looks Mm -hmm. great um you know without that security blanket there it almost seemed to me like Claudio Bravo was overthinking it he didn't have the one guy that he could go to or he didn't have a lot of options And, and you can put that down to Tottenham's pressing as well they took away the passing lanes um, you know, they were covering all of those guys, or at least, you know, if they were leaving one guy available to him, it was too close to the goalkeeper to really make any, make any difference in the attacks. So you saw kind of those faux counterattacks that Manchester City likes to do mm-hmm. really kind of peter out. And, um, Chris, we talked about Son a little bit last week. He, he had an assist in this game. I had another good game in the absence of Harry Kane. Janssen did not start. He, he came off the bench. We talked. We didn't talk enough about Tottenham's defense this year. It was a topic of conversation last year, but I'm thinking out loud right now. Can you think of a better, more more cogent, well drilled, well organized back five than Loris, Walker, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, and Danny Rose in all of Europe? I'm hard pressed to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what you can say about their kind of situation is it highlights why if you can have a consistency in lineup that can be so influential in terms of breeding a tight defense because i think if you were to perhaps say is is danny rose the best left back in europe are they as individuals the best in their position exactly you could you would argue maybe not they're they're definitely near the top of course but they're not the best it's when you put them together and you give them the stability of playing together week in week out building that understanding and also having a style of play that I think is, is very beneficial towards the defense because it, it applies defensive responsibility to every single player. Mm-hmm. There, there's no one in that team ambling around, not doing work. And in fact, it's had a benefit on some of the attackers. Even you look at Eric Lamella, the structure has made him a better player um, in kind of the, the latter part of his, his Tottenham career. So I think it, it you're completely right in saying at the minute it doesn't look as if there is a, a better um, back four or back five even. And I think you just look at the numbers. If if I remember correct, they've, they've only conceded three this season and none from open play. Mm. Um, that that to me typifies just how good they are. And, and I think it backs up exactly, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, to add to that, 
they've uh, bought Wanyama, who who might go down as one of the signings of the season so far. He's he's had a terrific start to the season. Um, I think I I said on World Soccer Talk and on other podcasts that. I think Arsenal lost their opportunity to win the Premier League when they didn't even bid for Wanyama at 13 million. Uh, but we'll get to Arsenal later. A uh, couple of questions, Morgan. Let's start with you. Uh, Robert asks a question: Is Spurs' good start due to not having Thursday Euro- Europa League games? Um, I mean, I would say no, mainly because they have. Wednesday Champions League games now. <laughs> but is, isn't that the um, argument of, you know, th- th- we often hear this argument, right, Morgan? Thursday to Saturday yeah. or Thursday to Sunday is way more difficult than Wednesday to Saturday. It changes the rhythm. To have, you have to change your which days you have off, all that stuff. Well, and I understand the argument that you want to come up with that because it is obviously closer to Saturday on there, but you're talking about a one-day difference. And, you know, if you're still traveling from somewhere, say Spurs had to play in Russia this year Mm -hmm. on, you know, in the Champions League, well, you automatically right there, you're losing that Thursday anyways. So, you know, I just, I think that, yes, it does have a, it will have a little bit of an effect, but I don't think it's going to be as pronounced as it was, you know, as it has been in the past few seasons when Spurs were in the Europa League. Um, you know, I mean, you saw everything they did last year. Did they have your, were they in Europa League last year? Yes. If I remember right. So, I mean, they ended up finishing second Europa League last year. Their collapse, I don't think really kind of came down to the fact that they were playing in Europa League. So, I mean, it's, I think it does have an effect on certain teams as we do hear about the Champions League hangover as well, but I don't think it's going to be, uh, I don't think that, you know, this good start is due to the fact that they're not playing in Europa League. I think that they're a team much like Liverpool mm-hmm. that was always going to come out of the blocks hot. Chris, Nick Morales, friend of, uh, you've done front three with him. I've done ULF with him. Great guy. Asked a good question here. Tactically, do you think Guardiola is capable of playing a style outside of heavy possession? I don't know because he's never had to. Hmm. Um, he's had such success with the style that, that he plays. That there's been little need for for real uh, deviation from that. And I think in, in some regards, that could be an interesting um, case study this summer and, and why it's, or this season, excuse me. And that's why it's such a great question from Nick because the De Bruyne injury aside, I think it's fair to say that there's a good number of these players, not even so much that they're not Guardiola players, mm-hmm. as much as they're players that we've known for a while are mm-hmm. not conducive to success for Manchester City and are much closer to being pushed out than being kept long-term. Now, he managed to move some of those players on in the summer. The likes of Sami Nasri is a good example. There are still those that remain, though. I think Alexander Kolarov is, is likely one of them. Um, he was certainly someone that was... Not scapegoaters as much as blamed heavily today. Um, so he's going to have to work through that difficulty. He's going to have to work through that struggle. And it could lead to a, an evolution or perhaps even a deviation for, from what he is known for doing. And I think that's, for me, going to be something that I'll watch quite closely in terms of does he try to adapt almost to the players or does he force them through that difficult period of transition themselves where they keep playing the way they have? I know know Morgan said before that Bravo was making uh, or waiting for for kind of the pass to open up. He's in many ways kind of the archetypal Guardiola player in that squad because he's so adamant about sticking to the style and sticking to the, the game plan 
that he he doesn't want to kick it long. He doesn't want to aimlessly boot the ball out because that's not his role. And there are some players, obviously, that don't have that background, that understanding, that foundation. So when they panic, they deviate from it. Not all, not always intentionally. I think sometimes it's just done out of out of pure fear. But it doesn't change the fact that it's something that he's going to have to work through. There's going to come a point where the gains in terms of understanding are much more marginal than has been during that first six games where everybody looked reborn, everybody looked like they were a brand new player. Morgan, you want to have a stab at that? No, I mean, I think he hit it right on the head. <laughs> um, I think that the fact that he was at that juggernaut that was Barcelona for so long, he was at the juggernaut that was Bayern Munich for so long, uh, he's now at City, which isn't necessarily a juggernaut in the English league right now, even though they are one of the most, you know, one of the teams that's been up there one, two, three uh, for the last, you know, five, six years now. Um, you know, they're in no terms a juggernaut. So he's going to, he is going to come up against a lot of, you know, do I have to make the changes? Do these players have to make the changes? Like you said, Claudio Bravo played at Barcelona, where that was the Pep style. You do, you know, you just do it. You keep doing it because it's always gonna it's always gonna work out. That's how it's always worked out for us. So we're always gonna have success. I think if you start seeing more results, kind of like today, or more teams like today that are pushing up playing the higher line and really giving them problems he may have to reassess it Mm -hmm. but what does he reassess it to that's the big question i don't think that he has a plan b at this point uh for city is he smart enough to come up with one absolutely i think he could come up with something but will it work that's the biggest question i don't i don't know that it necessarily will from from everything that i've seen with guardiola guys is it it seems to me that it, he's not going to change the philosophy of passing. I think that's in his DNA. I think his way of working through problems is to change the, sh- the shape of the team. And I think back to the last season, uh, specifically the game against Dortmund, which they ended up winning 5-1. But let's not forget, they, they had had trouble. Both uh, him as well as Heinke before him had had trouble with uh, Dortmund's press. So he his... his uh, Solution to that was change the shape and he went to what was essentially a 3-4-3. The four in the midfield ended up being a diamond. So he was able to deal with the press by really essentially having no one on the outside except for the forwards. Uh, it, it completely nullified Dortmund. It was probably one of the best tactical switches I've ever seen. It completely caught Dortmund by surprise. So from my perspective, his his go-to thing is not to change his style of football, but actually changed the shape of the team. And and he gets it right almost always. So, But here here's my yeah. question to you, Nahoon, and yeah. this is going to kind of expand upon um, the original question that was asked. He has to do that against Dortmund twice, three times a year, maybe once in a mm-hmm. cup final. Mm-hmm. What happens when he has to do it consistently against multiple teams coming from him in different angles, yeah. teams that will catch on to that? That, I think, is – that's the biggest – question that people had about Guardiola when he came into the Premier League was okay you know if and again England isn't necessarily known for his tactical genius but if these teams now that have all these tactical managers start figuring this out and he has to change his plan every week can he do it and I think that you know that will remain to be seen until the end of the season and I would argue just going along with my argument which is that he changed the shape I think he can because I he played that Bayern team in a 4-5-1, he played them in basically a f- what was a narrow 4-6, I would call it, where essentially Shakiri and, and Alonso and Gotze were playing behind Muller and, uh, and Lewandowski. Uh, and I think 
he has solutions within games. He's able to change these things. Uh, so I think maybe it's my bias, but I think he will find uh, the solutions to these problems across teams and across different challenges. But he does need time. And it comes back to the fact that he needs to get used to the Premier League. I think that's the big thing. But that's a great question. We appreciate that. It led to us into some good areas. Uh, Chris Morgan and I watch a ton of soccer. Different games, different leagues, different time zones. Because of that, it can get it can all get a bit confusing. Therefore, all three of us turn to the mothership, World Soccer Talk, to help sort out our viewing schedules. Every day, WorldSoccerTalk.com updates the TV and streaming schedules for all of the major soccer leagues in the Americas and Europe. Everything from Premier League, Championship, La Liga to MLS, Liga MX, Bundesliga, and the NASL. Just this morning, I was trying to remember when my beloved Indy 11 were playing. By the way, they're playing right now. And I went to worldsoccertalk.com to find that. Plus, worldsoccertalk.com is the first website to post TV schedules, often days before the official league and TV sites post theirs. So when you're wondering where to turn to in order to find when your club is playing on U.S. airwaves, make sure worldsoccertalk.com is your first destination. Morgan, let's start with Burnley's heartbreaking loss to Arsenal. Unfair uh, Ber- loss to Arsenal. Burnley <laughs> yeah. started this game pretty well. Uh, we're not going to analyze Arsenal right away. Uh, I'd like to talk about Burnley a little, little bit more with you because we've not done that this season. They've beaten Liverpool... Watford and they tied with Hull arguably should have won that game against Hull uh, outside of Stephen Defoe who actually didn't start today how are they doing this what 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 are you seeing from this Burnley team that is giving them much better performances than some of us thought they would have well uh, one of the things you got to put it down to is Sean Dyche and mm-hmm. he's done a very very good job in his time at Burnley uh, bringing them up now twice I think the other thing you got to look at is kind of what everybody is really praising Spurs for is the cohesion in the team. I mean, he's done a very good job at you know keeping the core elements of that team together, trusting his guys and giving them that self belief. And I think that you know this time, the first time when they came up, Dyche, you know, would never be one to say, "Oh, well, we're just happy to be here. They were going to do as much as possible." This time around, he's kind of got that narrative. All right, boys. This is the second time we're up here. We're going to show these you-know-whats that we belong here because you know Sean Dyche uses potty language. <laughs> but, and I think that he, yeah, he's a very, very good motivator. I think that he's somebody that has really brought this team and had them performing well above the expectations that anybody would give them on there. So I think there is a lot that you know, a lot of the Spurs, you know, cohesion self-belief and work and everything that everybody praises them for i think you can put a lot of that down to burnley as well chris along with the fact that it looks like walter white uh i think he uh, i think morgan's right about sean dyche uh, not that morgan looks like walter white sean dyche looks like more <laughs> like walter white from breaking bad uh but some of the players on there we should talk about as well gunmanson sam vokes michael Keane. Uh, Heaton and Goal has given them some solidarity. What are you seeing from this Burnley Burnley squad? Industry mainly, effort, mm. um, a lot of the the sort of intangibles that I think you you almost expect from a promoted team. I think I think again they, in terms of their summer business and such, they they moved the needle a little bit in terms of ambition. Um, and the the kind of players they went after, but even then, it, it it felt like 
it felt like they were high rollers for a championship side. Um, still, the fact that DeFore and, and Hendrick have come in, that's that's given them some quality in central midfield. I just think the the forward line is it's really lacking for me. You look at that chance, I think it's Vokes has, um, right. the header in the first half. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that's said year on year when a, a newly promoted side struggles. Those are the margins of the top flight. You, you score that, it completely changes the complexion of the game. Because you can you can uh, apply that style of sitting a bit deep and shutting off the space, but you then have the opportunity to break as Arsenal really push forward and, and try to avoid a, a defeat. So it's quite disappointing. Um, I, th- I think honestly, Arsenal were there for the taking. Yeah. The fact that they they stuck with uh, Sanchez in a false nine when I think we said last week that's not going to work against a team that that sits narrow and sits deep like that. It, it needs to be against a team that, that's line is, is higher, that wants to come out, that wants to try and be expansive. Um, for me, that painted all the all the kind of necessary requirements for a, an upset because I just thought Arsenal, yes, they had the ball, but they weren't very dynamic with it, I think. But Chris, sticking with you again, playing devil's advocate, as I like to do with you, you smarty pants, uh, are we doing this again with Arsenal? So so say this result had happened with Liverpool. Say this result had happened with Man City. Perhaps the narrative would have been, yes, they were dominant, but they didn't create too many chances. But these are the kind of results that champions need. With Arsenal, is it automatically the dark side? Oh, no, look, I'm not criticizing Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought their performance was solid. I think from from a defensive standpoint, they were strong. Yeah. I, I don't think they necessarily did anything wrong. I think, uh, if, if anything, they came up against a team that, as I say, didn't really stretch themselves wider than the edge of the penalty box um, and sat really quite deep to the point where there wasn't a great deal of space. And And I, I tweeted as much at the time to say that that's where you kind of need that Giroud-type figure. You need someone that's going to sit in between that sort of spot, between the penalty spot and the six-yard box, just inhabit there. Because there was a few chances where the ball flashed across. So I think I think Arsenal created things. The difficulty they had was there wasn't someone in that space just to, to, to prod it home. Um, so I don't think it was a bad performance necessarily. I, I think uh, you can give them credit for, for never giving up in that sense and getting that little bit of fortune stroke reward at the end with the, the goal. Um, I think, as I say, if anything, it, my point is more... Criticism of, of Burnley to say that I just don't think I don't think they they tried enough. I think mm. they just sat in their shell for far too long to the point where they they were content to take that draw. And I, I again I don't think that's a very good idea. Percy. yes, Arsenal have got very technical players, very creative players. Right. I think you can still get at them though. Let's move ahead to talking about a game that I thought had a very unfair uh, result. Morgan Swansea's loss oh, to Liverpool. Man. Uh, how I mean Swansea, we've we've dismissed them so much. I think the last two or three games they've been pretty good. I thought in this game they were better than Liverpool. To be, if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, the scoreline was unfair. And in the first half, chance after chance for Swansea. Borga should have scored twice with two different headers. Uh, the goal that was scored was another set piece. Tell me your thoughts on this game. Um, and again, this is a game I really kind of came into late because of the timing of it, but. Um, you know, again, I have to agree with you on there. I think that Swansea, 
has come up against the bigger sides and done very well. Again, we saw what they did against Chelsea. Uh, we've seen it to the, you know, in this game against Liverpool on here. And, uh, you know, they're not as bad as everybody makes them out to be. I just think that there's, I, I don't know, maybe it's some, maybe it is something with the management. Maybe it's something that Guidoline's not doing. Uh, maybe it's something that he is doing. But, um, just for whatever reason, or maybe they just had the fates against them because this is a game that absolutely should have been Swansea's. Borja, it seems like he's been in on several chances, just hasn't, you know, really, had, you know, maybe getting that first goal will open the floodgates for him, as everybody says it'll do, like a Vincent Jansen or somebody like that. He's had several right. chances, hasn't really put one away. Uh, Leroy Fair is their top scorer, so, you know, take from that what you will as far as the team itself goes. Um, but I think, you know, this is a team that is better than what we originally thought they were, but they're just not getting the results. Performances are a lot better. The results just are not there. And poor Mike Vanderhorn, man, I wanted Phew. to, you saw the tears almost starting yeah. the second that that ball went around, you know, went around the post. I mean, it just, I felt so bad for him when that happened. You and me both, buddy. I, he could uh, have, li- he could have single-handedly saved Gilling's job the there. Um, Chris, if I think it's pretty clear now that uh, Gideline would be losing his job in a situation where Giggs or Bob Bradley takes over. Do you have more hope for Swansea, or are you still predicting them to uh, get the drop? It's it's very it's a very difficult question. Do um, do they have the players to stay up? In your opinion, my gut says no. Um, I think. I mean, you look at the likes of uh, Van der Horn, he wasn't really a, an earth-shatteringly good player for Ajax in a league that they dominate, um, usually, or, or they're you know, one of the bigger teams. Uh, there's just too much. I, I mean, the, the concern I have as well is I look at someone like Leroy Foy, who is scoring goals, so you would say is, is definitely an important factor for them. When they haven't got the ball, he does so little. Um, and, and for me... Usually Swansea dominate the ball and their ball retention is good, but he's not someone that I would constitute as, as being a, a creative passer or someone of that ilk. So I, I everything that I just look at, I look at even the big money signing of Borja, to me, the, the deals they've made, they're the kind of deals that you look back and say, well, it's no surprise they went down when this was the business they did. It was a risk in the summer from Swansea yeah. and I think I've said this before so apologies if I'm, I'm replaying an old record that to me seems so uncharacteristic for that football club relative to the, the the image they'd built since they were promoted as being a team that is able to find a bit of value in the market a team that is able to operate with not just financial stability but stability in terms of the team you know who's going to be there you, They've got the same reliable figures every week, and and everything this summer just seemed to deviate away from that, and 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 I don't know why. That it's it's something I don't think I'll ever understand. Maybe it's the ownership. Maybe it's maybe it's that change has has sparked something. They've tried to be ambitious and and gone about it the wrong way. They've they've pushed the pedal too hard too quickly. Um, because honestly, I think when you're going to transition, because look, Ashley Williams will retire one day. Um, you have to do it incrementally. I don't think you can make such sweeping changes like that unless it's been planned years in advance. And obviously that, that's not the case with Swansea. So it doesn't look like picking up for them anytime soon, unfortunately. Yep. 
if we had to stop quoting ourselves on podcasts, we'd have nothing to talk about, Chris. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about another four games as well as update you on the leagues around Europe. And hopefully this fire truck right outside my window will be gone by then. Stay tuned for part two of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Before we start recording part two, the three of us were talking about ProRail. Let's talk about two teams that are about to get relegated, Manchester United and Stoke. 1-1 draw, Morgan Green. Oh my goodness. I don't, uh, I'm terrified that you're on the podcast today because I, I was hoping that I'd get away with talking to no, you know, Chris not at all. and Karthik. And now I've got to have to deal with you talking about Manchester United. Go on, Morgan. Go on. Talk about Manchester United. Well, first off, the result is not surprising at all, and <laughs> okay. not for the re- not for the reason that you would think. Any time that Sparky gets the chance to raise the middle finger at Sir Alex, he's going to do it. <laughs> so that right there should yeah, you should have known this was going to be drop points all day. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, this is and this is all I want to ask you is: Do you know mm-hmm. you Napoon Chopra, soccer genius? <laughs> what what do Etienne Capu, James Milner? Jermaine Defoe, Leroy Fair, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic all have in common. They all play in the Premier League? I, I have no other, idea. Other than that. Uh, they both are topics of this question? I don't know. I genuinely yes. don't know. I'm going to guess that the players have all got the same combined number of goals as uh, Leroy Fair. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. All done. All that money for Zlatan, and you can't outscore Leroy Fair. <laughs> well, this is what I think, and uh, <laughs> I, and uh, jokes aside, I I um, I think our listeners know how critical I am of Mourinho, uh, but I actually agree with his post-match press conference where he said that this was Manchester United's best game of the season. Uh, it was actually way better than the Leicester win, which I think, as I mentioned, flattered the United. Uh, the, the scoreline flattered United. Thought United were very dominant, but guilty of some profligacy in finishing. Uh, your thoughts on that, more, uh, uh, Chris? Um, yeah, the finishing could have been better, definitely. I think. I think, honestly, for for me, the the issue is just with Manchester is the way the money has been spent. Hmm. Um, and it's it's funny that we go from Swansea to this because I think in in some respects they have slightly similar problems. They haven't spent the money with, to me at least, what looked like a recognised plan of this is the problem, this is the solution, this is the player that provides that solution. Mm-hmm. It's very much been a case of, well, we need someone who does something like this, let's get this player in, and then that doesn't work, and, and so on and so forth. And it also feels like they've they've gone a little bit name-brand shopping. So the likes of Depay, he's an exciting young attacker. Mm-hmm. Great, we could do with one of them. Same with Martial. Some have panned out. Martial, has, I think, has panned out and, and will prove to be a, a value for money shining if you can be at that fee. The likes of Depay, though, even Mkhitaryan, the fact that you know you, you spend that money on someone that was so influential and he's hardly been used, really. Right. There, there, there's not... When I look back to, to the peak years for Manchester United, the, the Ferguson era, if you will, when when he bought players, especially big money players, it was usually with a role in the team in his head that he could just drop them into. And if it didn't work, then he could put someone else there and, and evolve and move around it. I don't see that with Manchester United. It seems like it's just been a lot of a lot of upgrades or a lot of attempted upgrades in one foul swoop. And it just hasn't worked. 
Yeah, I, I see. I see some uh, truth in what you're saying. Uh, Memphis, of course, was you know bought by Louis Van Hall. Same with Martial. I think there's summer. I actually disagree with the notion that there wasn't a plan. I think there was a plan. I think the plan Marketing. was to uh, was to improve. You know, in in every position and in areas that Manchester United supporters have been hoping we would improve in. Uh, striker. Now, would I have preferred to see Obama Young or Lewandowski over Zlatan? Absolutely. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think your argument about name branding also does is also true. I, I think United did go for name brand names. Uh, sorry, brand names and Pogba and Zlatan. Um, Mkhitaryan, I think, has a future at United. He hasn't been played uh, at all, really. He he had a good start to the preseason, but since then has been MIA due to injuries and whatever is going on in the background. Eric Bailly has been a standout star in my opinion he's been the most consistent player for man united so there there's some areas of progress and some areas that i think need to be improved and as for the sir alex analogy i i think of uh morgan i'll come to you in a second but to finish on this um i think of lots of players that sir alex bought for big money that didn't pan out um you know i think of juan sebastian veron he he came on to give uh to win united the Champions League ended up playing Scholes out of position and United lost to Bayer Leverkusen in the semifinal. I think of Dimitar Berbatov, who had a few good moments, including one season where he scored a bucket load of goals, including a five-goal thriller against uh, Blackburn Rovers. But Sir Alex got decisions wrong, and I think Mourinho also will get decisions wrong. I think the sample size is small, uh, and um, we don't know. We don't know how this will play out. Morgan, give, give us your thoughts. Well, I mean, the sample size for Mourinho at United is obviously very, very small. But I think if you're looking at the last couple of years of Mourinho, I mean, it seems like he's gotten it more wrong than right. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. With his with his usage of players, I mean, they went out and bought Juan Cuadrado, and he played all of a handful of times, and then Juventus got him. Um, you know, especially I, I would more worry about, and maybe the United hierarchy won't let him do it. I would more worry about an exodus of these kind of younger players that go out, go on to be better, as we've seen with Chelsea. And I know I bring it up a lot. You know, the Lukaku's, the De Bruyne's, even guys like Andre Sherla, who could absolutely be playing roles right. in this current Chelsea team, but were sent off because Mourinho deemed them not worthy. I think that. You know, if they can prevent some sort of mass exodus and he learns how to work with the players at his disposal, mm-hmm. then absolutely they could turn it around and things could go better. And, you know, obviously with the likes of Pogba and Ibrahimovic, if he find he'll be able to find roles for them, I think, if he works at it enough himself. But, you know, is he going to work at it? Is he going to does he have the hubris in himself to say, well, this isn't working, I need to change it? Or is he just going to keep you know, trudging Pogba out there in the same position, doing the same things week in and week out and turn him into the new Matic. Who knows? Mm. Chris, let's uh, end on this part with a question from a friend of the show here in Indianapolis, Brian Smith. Yes, kind of a tongue-in-cheek question, but I think there's some seriousness underneath it. He says, United can't handle Stokes 4-5-1. Will Liverpool's attack make Jose, that's Jose Mourinho, cry or jump off the roof? Uh, but I-, I think there's some serious danger there because you would argue that Liverpool, well, uh, definitely no one would argue against it, that Liverpool are currently favorites in that tie in two weeks. Uh, But can you see Liverpool completely destroying Manchester United? Because it's possible. That's how good Liverpool are right now, and that's how inconsistent Manchester United are right now. I think it's also Liverpool, or at least they look 
exceptionally cohes- cohesive as a unit. They look like a team that understands what everyone is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's something that you could kind of level at Manchester United is at this point. And again, part of this goes back to the fact that Mourinho is still very much in the early throws of things. Right, right. And I think you could relate that to a wider point that as a as a viewership, as, as a fan, uh, as a fandom and a fan culture, we've become far more impatient with managers. Yes, that's um, true. We expect the elite to deliver instantly. And I think what we forget is only one team can win the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So if if we have these three or four candidates, that means three of them are going to be failures. But even within that, are they really a failure? Is it a failure if Mourinho finishes second and gets them in the Champions League? People will paint it that way, but I'd argue it's not. Yeah. I think in relation to Liverpool and Manchester United, of course you have to say Liverpool are the favourites. That is partly, as I say, though, because they've had that time with Klopp. They've had, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a year It's a year on Tuesday, possibly. Yep, that's um, right. They've had now a year with him to understand what he wants, and also he's been able to bring in the players. He's been able to, to get rid of some who didn't work. The Sadio Mane signing is a huge shift. It's all those kind of little pieces that build up into a much bigger jigsaw that I think we sometimes forget when we, we just line the two up and, and sort of deride one and, and praise the other based on how they've started this season. Let's go ahead to talking about the Leicester-Southampton nil-nil draw. I thought the scoreline didn't really tell the story of this game. Both teams created chances. Both teams should have scored. Vardy in particular when he picked up that errant back pass from Virgil van Dijk. Um, question for you, Morgan. Explain to me why Leicester City is doing what they're doing in Europe, uh, yet back home in the Premier League. Things are kind of falling apart a little bit. Well, uh, and I, I know I noticed just from the notes on here, it is in there. I think that you know after an entire se- season of notes? seeing what, what are you Leicester could do, I know, right? <laughs> the the mental notes that you and I right, share, we have right, that bond. Right, right. Um, you know, I think that after watching Claudio Ranieri and this Leicester team for an entire season last year yeah. and seeing what they can do, obviously teams and management have prepared uh, for that. Hmm. Um, there were certain things last year that you can't prepare for. Jamie Vardy going on that just amazing scoring run that he mm-hmm. went on, that once-in-a-lifetime scoring run. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, coming into Europe, obviously – is a whole new uh, adventure for Leicester, but it's also new for the European teams. These, you know, these Champions League teams, for the most part, I mean, you can usually pick out the ones that are going to be there pretty much every year, and they do play each other a lot. I mean, how many times have we seen Manchester City and Barcelona play each other? How many times did we see Chelsea and PSG play each other the right. last couple of years? So these teams get familiar with each other. When you put somebody in, like that year that Spurs made it in, when you know, just by the you know, skin of their teeth, when they made it in and then had their little run in uh, the Champions League. Teams didn't know what to expect. It was a whole new thing. And I think that they are really playing on, at least in Europe, that surprise factor. Back home, again, the you know, you're seeing teams that are making adjustments for it. Vardy, I think, has come back down to earth after that season that he had last year, which is to be expected. I mean, right. nobody, you know, he's not going to go, what, 10, 11, 12 games straight scoring goals. Um, you know, and you're seeing that goal, like, like you said, that back pass that he should have put away. Absolutely. Last year, that goes in 100% of the time, uh, given how hot he was. Now, start of the season, it's a brand like new year. You just mean, yeah, the player, right, right. No, I mean, he's a good-looking guy. You know, he's not – I mean, I wouldn't put him up there with 
you know, maybe like a Zlatan or somebody yeah, like who, that. Who is your top three? Yeah, give, us your, give us your top three hottest soccer players. Top three hottest soccer players mm-hmm. right now in the Premier League? Yeah, right now. Oh God! So Zlatan's, on Zlatan, there. Zlatan's definitely on the list. I won't. I won't rank them one, two, three because it's a little too hard. I'd put Zlatan on the list. Um, you know, I'd have to put. Well, no, he. I would say Courtois. He's a good-looking guy, but he does have that nose. That's kind of. Uh, <laughs> you don't like yeah, the, the, the nose, kind of. The nose kind of juts out a little bit. Okay. I think that. Um, you know, I mean. I, looking guy you know he's a little uh he's got the afro going on i think he's definitely i think he's a good looking player and um no wayne rooney on there right no no uh, wayne rooney you know what i'll throw jonathan walters just because he's got that kind of grizzled gruff sil- silver fox man. he's uh, a silver yes fox. he is the silver fox this is the he best is, he is a shaved alan pardew <laughs> this is this is the time that everyone hits unsubscribe on the world soccer talk podcast chris let's talk about sunderland's draw with west brom um I don't know how to analyze this game again. Uh, we had this trouble last week with one of the games. Uh, Sunderland came out hard. Defoe missed a, a chance that you would argue Defoe should score. Chadley finishes an excellent goal. West Brom was actually the better team. And I guess the analysis has to start with how poor Sunderland continue to be. Yes. Um, the, the changing... <clears throat> excuse me. The, ter- oh, the turning point for, for them is Patrick Van Arnholt's introduction. Um mm-hmm. And he he was played as a left midfielder actually rather than a left right, back, which a is left back, yeah. a, a slight difference. Now, in fairness, he can play anywhere along the left side. He's 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 done that before, I believe. Um, and I think long term, it's much better to have him there because defensively, especially when he's in his own box, he's a bit of a nightmare. Um, but when he goes forward, he's very impressive. Actually, right. he's yeah, he had he, he had their most uh, assists last season, right, or most goals, one of the two for a long time. And he's the the thing is with him as well. He he actually is very intelligent in his movement. I mean, you look at the goal for example. He wins the ball back, sprints past Phillips, and then makes quite an intelligent run into the box. So that for me is the the very faint silver lining for Sunderland off the back of this game is that actually they found a position that incorporates Van Aanholt, but also kind of relieves him as, of his defensive responsibilities. Um, in terms of the game itself, I think. Honestly, Sunderland did better up until the goal. That was a, I wouldn't say a sucker punch, but it did come a little bit against the run of play. Um, West Brom as, as a team to watch, they're a curious one. Yeah. It's essentially just give the ball to NASA Chadley and see what happens. Um, they, they've put a lot of responsibility on him. And I, I've watched them a few times now since they signed him. And everything runs through him, really. Any, anything that they achieve... It usually has Chadley's name involved at some point as well. Do you think they're better on the break this season than last season, Chris? Because when I was watching them the last few games, you know, they have more options. Last year, it was basically mm. Rondon or Die. If Berahino was playing when he hadn't fallen out with the manager, it was just him. This season, they looks, it looks like they have more wing play. They have Chadley playing in uh, this free role, essentially. So do they have more options than they did last season, West Brom? I, th- I think, uh, yeah, definitely. I think that's a, it's a great point. The, the the thing with Chadley as well is, um, if you take away kind of his technical abilities for a second, he's very athletic. He's very quick. He's very yeah. strong. Um, I mean, you look even at the goal that he scores. He breezes past. I right. want to say, does your body um, like he's not even there? Mm-hmm. And. Granted, Digibody's not had the greatest start to a Sunderland cruise. He's been involved in most of the goals they've conceded since he arrived. 
But even still, in a, in a straight foot race, it's impressive to watch. And I think when Berahino can be incorporated into that as well, it should give them a little bit more of a dynamic attack. And you kind of pair that off with a defence that is really mean. It's a, it's a very tough back line to try and break down West Brom. It's organised. It's quite deep. It's narrow. Um, they, I think they'll be safe this season. I don't have any yeah. concerns with relegation. Um, I think they might be able to provide a little bit of entertainment as well for those fans because that's been an issue. And, and I think it's telling that some fans were actually calling for, for people to said, even though they weren't really close to relegation. Um, for Sunderland, you can't really say the same. Their defence doesn't look strong. Um, they're, they're very reliant on Jordan Pickford, who looks a very talented prospect. Mm-hmm. And the midfield, again, even with, what was it? I think it was two two defensive midfielders they had. They Paddy McNair, Jan Kirchhoff. There was still far too many balls going into that central zone for me just in front of the defence. Yeah. Rondon was getting it into feet far too often for, for my liking when you, you name a, te- a team like that. And it's it's Moyes again. It's it's that difficulty of he just doesn't have a, a wide variety of players at this point right. and it's a long time until January. Chris, why didn't things work out, work out with Chadley at Spurs? Because when he signed from Twente, he was highly rated at that time. He was like... It was a good age too. I think he was early 20s. I remember him just destroying Newcastle actually uh, a couple of years ago when they won like 5 nothing I think uh, at Newcastle I was there you, oh you were at that game so so I, I was right how, behind the goal that he scored he was he was <laughs> so good that day I remember thinking that this guy is quality so why did things fall apart for him at Spurs I I think and this is just a theory I think in part he got stuck in the the cycle of being something of a super sub ah. and and I, I asked this lack question. Lack of continuity, once. then maybe. Yeah, and I asked this question to. Oh God! Well, I don't think he mentioned him. I asked this question to Adam Johnson once, mm. um, because he had oh, a God. similar situation at, at Manchester <laughs> like, did, City. Did you did you call him collect and uh, did, <laughs> did you was, send him a text? Did you meet him in the park? Many. <laughs> this was many years ago. Um, and and I asked him, you know, it must be very difficult when you get into that position because if you perform as a super sub you almost reaffirm your identity. And yet, if you don't, you then slip further down the pecking order. So how do you actually break into becoming that starter? Someone like Chicharito had the same problem at United. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm, And and I think that's what's happened to Chadley. And and I would also argue, partly, I think he's the kind of player that he needs the ball regularly. I don't think he's someone that can drop into a game, even if he starts. I don't think he's the kind of player that can drop into a game, have maybe half a dozen touches and still do something influential. I think one of the reasons that West Brom works for him is that he's getting the ball so often that he's just getting a lot more opportunities. It's it's the notion that top strikers take a lot of shots mm-hmm. because because they're always trying to, to put it in the net. It's it's not always the most clinical strikers that score the most. It's the ones who, who are willing to take those shots whenever they get the opportunity. And I think it's a, a similar idea with him. Morgan, I've ignored you long enough. Let's talk Watford's <laughs> draw with Burnmouth 2-2. Uh, Fairly entertaining game. I, th- I don't think it was as entertaining as the scoreline might suggest, though. Uh, Amrabat, player that kind of goes under the radar a lot of times, uh, has been a bit of a journeyman, played pretty much all over the world, signed for Watford earlier this year, was a real threat in this game, was probably their best player. Tell, talk to me about uh, about um, Norden Amrabat. 
Uh, to be completely honest with you, this was one of the games that I missed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, that's fair. I didn't I didn't really get a chance to watch it uh, in general. But yeah, I mean, Amrabat is a name that you've seen pop up really kind of all over. He's, you know, again, like like you said, I mean, he's kind of that journeyman guy. I think he's got a job. He has a position that he plays. Um, you know, he has a, a role in pretty much any team that he goes into, and I think he can play that role really well. I don't think yeah. he's somebody that you're necessarily going to build a team around. But, you know, he's got the quality. And when you have a manager, um, you know, like Watford, they he'll know how to, uh, you know, he's going to know how to use him. I mean, that's really uh, that's really the best that I can come up with. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> kind of on uh, such short notice on here. I mean, I'm just looking it up. You're right. I mean, he has really been over the world, all over the world. I mean, most recently seeing him at Malaga, he's been there for a long time and kind mm-hmm. of went through that experiment with them. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a player that when I've seen him and I have watched a couple of games with him at, at uh, Malaga, he's played well, but again, he's not a world beater. But I think he's capable of performances like this every so often that make you think, "Wow, you know, it's amazing that this guy ended up at Watford." Chris, uh, the the game was basically uh, decided by success, uh, scoring the equalizer after Josh King, both of them scoring as substitutes. Uh, the big talking point was that miss by Jack Wilshire, but I have to say that overall, I thought Wilshire had a pretty good game in this game. He did. He's he's someone that's going to be held though to a, a frighteningly high, high standard right, because of who he is yeah. and and in some regards you know the, the the trail that follows him from Arsenal is almost suffocating at times um that said I think he should score um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. I think if it's anyone else we, we apply the same logic it's it's good to see him playing regular matches that's the main thing um that will be the biggest benefit for him this season and I think it just gives uh, Bournemouth, a, a different dimension in, in central midfield. One of the things I wrote something earlier, sort of in the summer, about Emerson Heinemann and his pro- prospects for this season. And at the time, they hadn't signed Wilshire, and I said that there's not a wealth of quality in central midfield for Bournemouth. So you would think he'll get some match time. That changed quite dramatically when they got Jack Wilshire. And I think you compare him to someone like Dan Gosling, for example, he's, he's leagues ahead of him. Yeah. Um, he may not have the same work rate or the same kind of ability to track back but you'll be able to slice open defenses and essentially free the likes of Josh King and Callum Wilson who look like an absolute pair of nuisances up front for, for Bournemouth I would not like to play against either um, and I think overall this is a, a good result for them and it it just points to maybe a little bit more progression from last season I don't think it will be as nerve-wracking for them this season yeah finally a question on Twitter from Pat Divitt he asked about will we ever see Tyrone Mings Sounds like he's still injured. He still has, uh, I think last year he got injured around this time, and they said 9 to 12 months. So we're right about the 12-month point. So hopefully we'll see the defender somewhat soon. Don't Rod, lie to the people. <laughs> Tyrone Mings is a myth created by our MLS paymasters. <laughs> Too soon for that joke. Uh, roundup of leagues around Europe. In Bundesliga, Bayern remained top of the group, uh, top of the league, that is, after a 1-1 draw with FC Cologne with Hertha and BVB, that is Dortmund, in second and third respectively. Dortmund lost two love away to a Chicharito-led Bayer Leverkusen in a very entertaining game. In La Liga, Atletico Madrid go top of the league with a two love win against Valencia. I don't know why I'm saying love. Two nothing win. Yeah, dude, this isn't uh, tennis. This, this isn't tennis. <laughs> 15 love. 
in La Liga. Atletico Madrid go top of the league with a 2 nothing win against Valencia, who have a new manager yet again. While Real Madrid were frustrated 1-1 at home by Ibar and Barca were yet to play at the time. Actually, can I break a little news on that? Yeah. Barca have lost to oh. Celta Vigo 4-3. to Wow, that must have been a game that I need to watch the highlights. Three three goals in the first half from Celta and an own goal from Mathieu. Oof, gotta watch yep. that game. In France, Monaco stay... But thank you, by the way. In France, Monaco stay top with 19 points after eight games played after they hammered 10-man Mets 7-0 away from home. While PSG are currently in third after a convincing 2-0 win over Bordeaux, catapulted by a brace by none other than Edison Cavani. Finally, in Serie A, Juventus extend their lead at the top of the table to four points after a 3-0 win away at Empoli, with Napoli surprisingly dropping points at Atlanta. Napoli and Lazio in second and third, respectively. When we come back, we'll have our top fours and uh, wrap up with all the remaining games of the Premier League. Stay tuned for part three of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Guys, let's do our top fours here. On form, I have Arsenal, Liverpool, City, and Tottenham. Morgan? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go with a true form. <laughs> true. I'm going to go Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool, and Crystal Palace. Oh. And Chris? Crystal Palace have not lost in four or five games now. Mm. That is true. Chris, your top fours uh, for on form. Uh, Liverpool, Tottenham. I'm gonna go with next Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, who's impressed me this weekend? I'm gonna say Chelsea, Bournemouth, <laughs> Bournemouth. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, that, that's that's a good spread we have there. End of the season, I'm going City to win, United second, Tottenham third, Chelsea fourth. Morgan. Um, I'm going to stick a little bit with the original. I'll go City to win. I'm going to go Arsenal second, Chelsea third, Tottenham fourth. Chris? Tottenham, City, Liverpool, Arsenal. Tottenham to win. Nice. I've got a good... That's a good. Wait. <laughs> Way to play to the masses. And player of the week, I have... Yeah, because Tottenham fans are the masses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So many of them around. Uh, my player of the week is someone we're going to discuss in a little bit, little bit, and that's Demania Matic. Morgan? Um, that's a good one. I would say, at least for me, my player of the week was Victor Moses. Oh, yeah, that's a good shout. Chris? Oh, who was it? I had this written down before. But then I <laughs> Chris, this is like pulling teeth with you, man. Jordan I know, Jack Alba. Wilshire. That's, that's who I was thinking Jack of. Jack Wilshire. We just talked about yeah. it. Huh. All right. I have a feeling you're not taking this as seriously as I want you to take it, Chris. Come on. Uh, right. No, I do. I, I, sit and, I sit for hours and think about it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk uh, last three games. Uh, We're going to speed through a couple of them and focus on whole Chelsea. Everton, Crystal Palace... Uh, Chris, this is a proper football match. There's lots of wing play, hard tackles, nine yellow cards, two strikers who have the physicality and can head the ball in Lukaku and Benteke. Both teams open in midfield, no midfield structure. Old school English football, Chris. 
I would like to change my answer to the last question and say Idrissa Guy, actually. Um, (laughs) Because somehow I forgot this game happened on Friday night. Mm. But I do remember watching it and thinking he was brilliant. He He just didn't seem to give the ball away at any point. Um, And you're right, this was a very traditional game in that sense. It was a little bit medieval from Palace, I think. But then that's kind of the way I expect them to play in entirety this season. It's it's going to be quick transitions. It's going to be get the ball to Townsend, see who he can beat on the run. And if, if they can't do that, get it out wide and, and try and aim for Benteke's head. It, it, again, it's not the most complicated mm-hmm. way to play football, definitely. Um, it's, as I say, though, it, for, for Pardew in particular, it has to work yeah. um, because he spent that much money assembling it. And I think... You know, but for for that Delaney uh, offside goal, they they pick up a win potentially. Right. So you would argue that they're finding themselves on the right fi- the right side of those fine margins. Mm-hmm. For Everton, I, I think it may become slightly difficult at points this season because I don't think teams will underrate them. If anything, I think teams are, are fully aware of what Everton possess and what they represent. And while you can't always stop the likes of Lukaku and Balassi you can certainly do things to inhibit them. And, and I sense that as the season progresses, teams that aren't in that top six will go to Goodison Park and just not try to play at all. They'll just sit deep and, and soak up as much pressure and space as they can. Morgan, let's go talk about West Ham, Middlesbrough. Uh, my thoughts, again, a 1-1 draw, another 1-1 draw, lots of draws this weekend. Um, my thoughts on this were that Mark Noble and uh, Dimitri Payet looked like the players they did last season. Mark Noble was so good towards the last, the end of last season that a lot of us were hoping he would be picked for England. Did not have a really, has not had a good start. This game he was terrific. And of course, that Dimitri Payet goal is definitely the goal of the week, one of the goals of the season. Yeah, and definitely spared West Ham some blushes again at home. Um, you know, I, I, put it out there you know Payet is a fantastic player we all know that I still think that he moves on from this team and I would think that he would move on sooner rather than later especially if this poor form continues from them um, the biggest difference isn't necessarily that Payet's not good or that Mark Noble isn't as good as he was last year so the, the team itself just doesn't seem to be as good as it was last year they've brought in a couple of guys um, and it just hasn't clicked for them. And there was always going to be a regression, at least in my mind, when it came to this team, especially with Slavin Bilic at the helm. But you know, there's only so much that they can do there. And I think we're seeing what West Ham truly are this season rather than last year when they really took everybody by surprise. And even Dimitri Payet took everybody by surprise. I think Payet's good enough that even if you plan for him, as we've seen, he can still pull off stuff like that. Where do you think Payet goes? I think he goes to the highest bidder at some point. I mean, it just seems like if this continues, do you think I it's really interesting him though? Seriously, but I mean, and I, and I you, don't, yeah. I don't mean he's not talented, no. but I mean he, he's twenty nine, right? He's twenty nine, and he works as a number ten in which the ball runs but, through him all the time. I don't I'm, think the elite clubs are looking for someone like that at the moment. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an elite club, though, Chris. I'm not saying that, but, it, yeah, that so it's going to be an elite what, club. I what just sort think of that, team do you think will will uh, bid for by? That's I think that's what Chris probably, is getting at. I, probably somebody back in France. I would I would imagine. Mm. I mean, you can't tell me that you know PSG who went out and bought Hatem Ben Arfa wouldn't put some money down to get Dimitri Payet just because he's a good French player. Maybe maybe you know, Balotelli, a Balotelli and Payet hook up or, at Nice. Exactly, maybe yeah. a Nice or somebody like that. I mean, mm. I think it's I think at some point if you're Dimitri Payet, 
you know, the just the stuff that's going on around West Ham right now, I think if they really start dropping it, I think that they absolutely cash in on him in, in the winter. If they, if, they, if they do hold him through the winter, I think he's definitely gone by the summertime. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily say that, oh, he's going to go to Manchester City, but I think that there's going to be a team out there with a rich owner that's going to come in and say, you know, this is a really good player. Let's get him and see what we can do with him. But the thing is, though, you, I mean, I understand what you're saying about some of my PSG. They didn't buy Ben Arthur. They got him for free. Like in in many ways, to me, that oh, is indicative of the situation in French football, which is there's not a huge amount of money going out. There's a lot maybe coming in for players to to move away from Ligue 1, but I don't think there's a lot. And that's the thing. I keep, you know, I saw a lot of people in the summer, mainly West Ham fans, talking about how important it was to keep buying and all this. I just didn't know where the the suit was. I didn't know where the the potential club was going to come in because. Someone like Real Madrid, I don't think he's good enough for them to be mm-hmm. to be quite candid yeah. about it. I, I think clubs below that, sort of maybe someone like Everton who's aspiring to get into that top four, I don't think they're gonna spend that much on a player that is, is his age. He's you wonderfully gotta... talented. I don't I don't contest that. His goal proves just how good he is. But you also need to run the ball through him. I don't think he's someone that can much like Chadley in that debate we were having before, I don't think he's someone you could put out wide. And get similar kind of output from. But you got to remember too, Real Madrid are also the team that signed Julian Faubert. What do you mean? Remember when they signed Julian Faubert? Yeah, yeah but I mean, you're yeah, but that was a, that was a short term loan. I'm, make, here, I, right? I'm making a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making a joke. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I think those are good points. I I actually have to side with Chris on this one. I I don't know that a club that e- even if someone like Nice comes in, we have to remember Pyatt, I don't think Nice will pay Pyatt's wages. And what they had with Balotelli is that Balotelli were desperate to move to get some playing time. I don't know if Pyatt will will be happy to move to somewhere where he'll get less wages and will be a less, uh, I don't know, less well-appreciated league than the Premier League. So I guess we'll keep our eye on it. Maybe. Final, yeah, final game, guys. Let's talk Chelsea's win against Hull City. Um, Hull actually started pretty well, Morgan, in this game. But once uh, Chelsea took the lead, it, it was pretty much over. And I think I, I mentioned this last week and the previous week. I think the the go to guy for a lot of Chelsea supporters in terms of a scapegoat is Nemanja Matic. And I, I thought yet again, as he did last week, I thought he was terrific in this game. And for me, was the man of the match involved in pretty much everything that Chelsea created. You're right. I mean, Hull did. They started well. In fact, the whole first half, uh, you know, Hull the was whole just very impressive. I see what you and, did there. Yeah. yeah, the whole first half. Yeah, nice. they were very impressive. And, uh, you know, Conte got the team in. And, uh, you know, when you're playing Hull and you're a team like Chelsea, at least in their minds, they it should have never been like that. They should have been able to come out early and get a couple of goals. Hull are a very tough side uh, to break down. They're very determined. We've seen them go up against some of the bigger guys, and they haven't really gotten the floor wiped with them yet this year other than that Liverpool game. Right. But that's to be expected. They lose 6-0 to Liverpool every time they play them. Um, you know, once Conte got him in at the halftime, I think he gave him the talk, and you really saw it kind of open up. To me, you know, Matic was very well improved. He's looked very well these last couple of weeks. I think the, to start Victor Moses, though, was the key to me. I, I saw a lot from him, a lot of running, a lot of direct running out of him. And I think that he really does offer something in this Chelsea team that they need. And I just, I was talking about it on Twitter on Saturday. I just can't believe that, 
you know, some of the managers that have come in since he was bought have just loaned him out that in that way, seeing that he has nothing to offer the team when right. he absolutely does. I mean, he's a quality player. He's not going to be a superstar, but he's somebody who's going to come in. He's going to run at you. He's going to give 110% effort, and that's mm-hmm. something that this team absolutely needs to balance out some of the other guys in there like Hazard, uh, you know, even like William to a certain extent. William did not have a very good game up until his goal. Yeah. So I think that Moses, uh, you know, I was very, very impressed with him. And I believe he was uh, he was named man of the match and for good reason. Uh, Chris, along with the fact that he picked Moses, which, as Morgan points out, was a good, good decision. Antonio Conte also changed the shape of the team going with three at the back. Uh, I thought that created some good opportunities for them, creating those triangles and midfield that you know those traditional stereotypical triangles if one might argue and with whole city playing a little deep and themselves a little bit changed mike Phelan talked about it talked about the need for rotation before the game i thought chelsea once they had the game uh under control it, it whole city really had no chance after that and perhaps we have to give antonio conte a bit of credit here because he was getting widely criticized after last week's performance he was. I, th- I think in, in a bizarre turn of events, the, the, the rumbling on with Mike Field, I think, has made things um, a little bit unstable, which mm-hmm. when you look at the fact that actually his presence originally was kind of what bound them together and the yeah. fact that you know everyone was writing them off, they haven't necessarily been able to turn that momentum into to points as much as I think they would have liked to. And if I think Phelan actually said, you know, we've got seven points at this stage, so I'm I'm happy. I I don't know if it's as simple as they need more players. That's the thing. Right. I think I think the issue is also that you look at that forward line, and I, I was kind of wrestling with it watching the game last night. Umbakani, I thought was quite good for Norwich, but he was also good for a Norwich side that was relegated. So how good could he have realistically been? Right. And that's my issue is I look at that squad and I don't see huge amounts of quality. I see players that could have a good week every now and again, but not someone that could be sustained for them. And I think, I honestly think they're likely to go down. I think if I'm picking teams to go down now, Hull are a prime candidate. Um, Just because I think that bright star that they did have, I I don't, I, I think it was very much a flash in the pan. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you there. Uh, I think all of us, maybe it was just the fact that there were only 10 to 11, 12 players available that created that siege mentality. And now that they've got through that period of difficult games, although, of course, Chelsea was a difficult game as well, maybe the the adrenaline has run out and then they've they've sort of, uh, the real cracks have started to appear. And, and as you said, the Mike Phelan issue is hurting them because you would argue that Mike Phelan would have accepted whatever they were off- whatever they offered him, but apparently he said no to the first round of negotiations. And I think that does have a knock-on effect on the rest of the team. I think that's a good... T- oh, actually, no, that's not, because Morgan, you, you have some... Mm-hmm. Uh, our regular stat man, as you used to be <laughs> on the podcast uh, some eons ago, you have some uh, some research you did for once, Morgan. Hit us with it. For once, I did some research, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I, and this is something that is kind of... It's been a running thing going for the Chelsea support this uh, as this has started, kind of Antonio Conte, how things have improved um, from Jose Mourinho on there. And I'm kind of running my own little kind of live table here to see how he does stack up, not just necessarily to last year, but in general. I went out and I actually took um, since 
Abramovich took over and Jose Mourinho was appointed in. I went out and got the managers ever since then going fresh into a new season with this team and kind of how they've been doing, how they were doing. I've done it up to seven games at this point. I'm going to be doing it as the season goes on. Two of them, obviously, Scolari and V.S. Boas. I'm going to have to stop with them once they got fired. But, um, you know, just looking at everything with Conte, when you look at it in the context of overall with a new manager coming into the side, he's actually done very poorly uh, comparing him against all those other guys like uh, Mourinho 1 and 2.0, V.S. Boas, uh, Ancelotti, and Scolari. He's got the fewest joint fewest wins with Mourinho 2.0, uh, lowest points, most goals conceded. Uh, he's a little, you know, he's over Jose because we all know Jose wasn't all about the goals. But it's when you look at it compared to last year, it's absolutely roses. And I'm I'm wondering how, you know, if Conte's measuring stick is just do better than last year, or is it? We need him, you know, it's a good thing that it's just last year because if it was compared to all the other managers, he probably would have been sacked by now. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I found out, or that not that I found out, but that uh, you can put kind of in Conte, not necessarily his favor, but that it's hindering him, is that he's really the first manager to come into this Chelsea team that did not have that legendary spine that Chelsea had. Mm. He doesn't have Peter Cech. He doesn't, well, he does have John Terry, but he's been injured. He doesn't have Lampard. He doesn't have Drogba. So this really is kind of signifying the new era for Chelsea. So I've gone through and I've just kind of run a bunch of the, uh, you know, just running the numbers on here just to see how this new era is going. Given that he hasn't had all those, I'd say that he's done very, very well, especially considered the last year. I mean, he's already five points ahead of where Mourinho was. But the fact that if you're going to put him up against the big boys like Ancelotti, and uh, Mourinho 1.0, he's actually fared pretty poorly. And I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, as fickle as Chelsea fans can be, the fact very, that they are so fickle. hung up, yeah. the fact that they are so hung up on him right now and that, you know, he is very, very happy that they're happy with kind of where he's at right now, considering, you know, five, six years ago, if this was Andre V.S. Boas starting for his head, I think it's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting way to look at it. What do you know? Maybe Chelsea fans are Chelsea fans are growing, baby. Look at that. Look at that. We can all learn a thing here and there. Once they switch to supporting, you know, whoever wins this year. Right now they're supporting Leicester, so there's that fact. Uh, Don't act like there aren't any City fans in the United group now. (laughs) It's a fact. (laughs) All right, boys. uh, It's good talking to you. We will be back. Uh, We probably will take next week off, actually. I'm not sure. We might or might not record. But we will be back the week after that to talk to you uh, about many, many important things, including a small, small game between Liverpool and Manchester United. Until then, on behalf of everyone here at World Soccer Talk, myself, Nipun Chopra, Chris Hennage, and, and, oh well, I was going to say Karthik, but Morgan Green, we bid you to enjoy your football. <laughs>